Right then, can we just have the first slide up as well, please? We have, brilliant, thank you, Ola. Today's part two of what I call prayer masala. Part one was last week. The point, the point of the title being that masala is a dish common to families in India. It's a lovely stew. Who likes a bit of curry? Who likes curry? Yeah, lots of curry fans in the house. Um, masala is a stew that varies from family to family, depending on what, what um, ingredients and emphasis they put in their recipe. It's unique to the family, but it's still a masala recipe. And all of us, there are many points about prayer that we can learn that are valid for all of us, but we'll apply them in different ways because we're all individuals. God created us as individuals. We're all wired differently. And so I've been going through 12 points in total, 12 rich ingredients for a healthy prayer life that are applicable for all of us, but some more than others you may feel resonate with you, or other people, vice versa. And so on. So we had six of these rich ingredients for a healthy prayer life last week. Who, without looking at your cheat sheets, can remember what they were from last week? <coughs> you might have to look at your notes. Oh, oh my wife's keeny teacher's pet. Go on then. Response. Prayer is a response. We get it the wrong way around. We think prayer is I talk to God, he'll talk back at me. Actually, it started the other way around. God has already initiated the conversation through creation, through Jesus, through his word, through Holy Spirit. Prayer actually is responsive. God has already spoken to us, started the conversation. We get to respond back. Sometimes he'll speak back again, but we need to get that the right way around. We're responding to a conversation that God's already started. Any, uh, anything else? Response was one. Honesty. Honesty. Being honest is vital. Be yourself. Be honest with God. He wants to hear your heart. Who else? Lifestyle. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not a tick box in your daily list of done that today. It should just be a natural lifestyle as well. That's three. Submission is a good one. Your will, not mine, etc. Two more. Who can remember? Which one? Communion and encounter. We are is this, this is wonderful, mysterious mix of intimacy and awe. He is big, scary, in a good way, good sense, holy God, and yet he invites us in through Jesus to be his children, to commune with him. There's intimacy and there's awe. Don't lose the reverence, but don't lose the friendship either. Communion and encounter. One more. Multicolored, very good. Prayer is multicolored, like, much like my conversations with my wife are not just one kind of, kind of conversation and chit chat. It's multicolored, there's a variance to it in many themes and situations and so on. It's not just about having a shopping list asking God for stuff. There is communion, there is petition, there is confession, there is intimacy, there is just general chat about your day as well as asking Him for things. Last week, so those kind of six ingredients, if you like, they were probably a bit more about the character of prayer this week is going to be a little bit there should be some more of that but there'll be a little bit more an emphasis on the practice of prayer i hope today be a bit more on the practical outworking of it so just uh because i'm conscious of time we've got a lot to pack in we will uh dip in and out of the bible with various scriptures as we go let's start with number one or number seven for this week prayer is dun, dun, dun. It's on the way, he's fine, he's scrolling, he's scrolling, he's looking for it. It'll come up. Prayer is work. Prayer is work. It'll appear, don't worry. Pray, it, prayer is work. Edward Burrier, who looks after um, our family of churches in Kenya, he says, prayer is work and it works. Prayer is work and it works. Hudson Taylor is a missionary to, uh, was a missionary to China in, in the 19th century, and he says... Do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray. For prayer requires strength. It takes effort. Prayer does take effort. 
The point I'm trying to make is that even at the very beginning, it usually starts with a decision to pray. That can take effort sometimes. Occasionally, we are drawn to our knees by circumstances. Something's going on, you cry out to God, or by Holy Spirit wrenching something in you, you just end up, you can't help praying. Quite often, we're human, we're fickle, we're feeble. Quite often, we have to decide to pray in the first place, don't we? Or is it just me? Um, God can often feel absent. He, he can do. That's the that's nature of what it means to be human. God can often feel absent, but that does not mean he is. And yet, we can fall into the trap of only praying when we feel like it, can't we? But remember, when we're suddenly, reviewing, uh, we're suddenly viewing prayer as response, stepping into a conversation that God has already started, suddenly we're, we're treating it as something to grasp hold of, something tangible, something we can grab rather than something that is dependent on our feelings or something we need to create or muster up. It's already there for us to step into. The opportunity is already available, but we need to make the effort to reach out for it quite often, don't we? Sometimes it comes easy. A lot of the time, it doesn't. If you picture a man in the desert, dry, dehydrated, parched, he's thirsty, and he sees that oasis on the horizon, He's going to make every, every effort to get to that drink of water, isn't he? He'll go out of his way. You would crawl on your hands and knees to get there, to get that drink. And somehow, with God right here and available at all times, we need to treat prayer in the same way. When you're thirsty, when you're dry, quite often you don't feel like praying still. But we need to make the effort to get that drink. In Psalm chapter 63, Psalm 63 and verse 1, David says this, and this is actually, this is King David in the wilderness, just like that desert picture just now. Right at the beginning he says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We may not always realise we're thirsty half the time. We'll just be bumbling through life functioning without God. We can do that, can't we? But if you're not praying, I can guarantee whether you feel like it or not, you'll be dehydrated. You'll be shriveled and barren without prayer. It does dry up your spiritual life, obviously. But the trouble is, particularly in the world we live in, it's a, it's a world, it's a culture that promotes instant results, doesn't it? Amazon, Prime, next day delivery. I want it, I'm going to get it. I want it now. Isn't there food you can now order and get it within the hour or something? I think sometimes, depending on where you live, from uh, Amazon. There's the one-click ordering. It's memorised all your your um, your delivery address and uh, and your credit card details, and literally one-click ordering. If you turn it on, one click is on the way. That's the world we live in, and we get used to that, and we expect prayer to be, "Dear God, can I have?" Oh, He hasn't given it to me yet. We can we can be a bit like that. We need to press in. We need to decide to pray, and we need to, and it takes effort to continue praying as well. Prayer is work. It really is. There's a, um, a Norwegian, um, he was a preacher and a writer from about, about 100 years ago called Ulla Hallersby. And he said, he describes prayer as being like mining, where it takes a lot of effort and steadfastness and patience and perseverance to drill the holes in the rock in which to put the dynamite charges. He said, then comes the exciting bit where you light the fuse and watch the rock explode everywhere. But he says, anyone can light a fuse. 
but it takes a lot of effort and steadiness and skill to drill those holes in the first place. And quite often, for good reason, God knows what we need. He changes us in the process. uh, Prayer takes work and effort to drill those holes in the first place. When you've laboured at length and you've not received an answer, and just be aware the answer you're receiving might be the one you're not wanting or looking for, but when you've not actually received an answer, Jesus says in Luke chapter 18 to nag father like a persistent widow. There's a story in there that he tells this persistent widow who goes to a, a judge for um, justice and she nags him and won't let go. She's like a dog with a bone. She is persistent in her prayer. I want justice. And eventually the judge gives in because she's, she's doing his head in. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, if that evil judge would do that for her, imagine what your father would do. He wants you to pester him in a good way. He wants you to petition him for justice. And that takes work, that takes effort, that takes drilling into the rock face in order to be able to even light the fuse in the first place. So, prayer is work. That's the first one today. Prayer is work. But what helps us labour rather than avoid it because it's easier to not? Sometimes, isn't it? We think. Next one, number eight, prayer is deliberate. Prayer is deliberate, it's related. So you can take effort to pray in the first place, but what about while we're praying? Many things conspire to stop us praying or to, uh, or to lead us off track. It's a battle, isn't it? Prayer is a battle, man, isn't it? Most notably the devil, he likes to have a dig, he likes to have a poke, make us feel guilty about something or just get us thinking about something else. But he's not all powerful he doesn't he can't read your thoughts anything like that he's not as powerful as he likes to think he is but just be aware he does like to have a poke around but even just our brains that could be enough to get us off track can't it our father who is in heaven all got to get cornflakes in sainsbury's doesn't it It happens doesn't it literally within seconds it's crazy so here's a few things that might help us focus um how to be deliberate in prayer uh your phone Where's my phone? Which pocket have I put it in? Put it somewhere else. Just saying. Put it on silent, put it on airplane mode, put it in the other room. I have to put it away. My phone is my mobile office. I use it for a lot of good stuff. It's also my entertainment centre, etc. I use it for a lot of things and it's good. But it's a distraction. Put it away. Even if it's sitting by the armchair, it can still buzz. Someone doesn't know better and they're texting you. Straight away, you're reading the text, aren't you? Just put it, put it somewhere else. You can come back to it later. Put the phone somewhere else. Um, Terry Virgo, who um, has been pretty much kind of the father of New Frontiers, but I think today, nowadays, we probably need to call him the granddad of New Frontiers, don't we? Bless him. But uh, we're all growing up now, aren't we? Terry Virgo, he talks about having a notepad ready by the chair when he's praying. So as these things pop in his head, must get cornflakes at Sainsbury's, he just writes it down. Cornflakes. Oh, mustn't forget to pick up such and such at three o'clock. He'll just write it down. And then he knows it's parked, he can come back to it later, he won't forget it, and he can crack on with praying. He says distractions are going to come. You can't stop distractions, but we can find ways of helping us focus when we decide to pray. Any other tools, any little reminders? Uh, Even reminders to pray. Speaking of phones, my phone does buzz me at 11am. It probably did it during worship, I just didn't notice, thankfully. It buzzes me at 11am with a little list of maybe half a dozen names to be praying for every day and gradually over time that that little list changes 11 o'clock is just one thing that helps me i'm going to pray for these people now or i'm busy now 
but I'll just snooze it for 30 minutes or an hour, and I'll do it, I will do it later. And at some point during the day, I will pray for those people. Some of you are in this room. It's helpful. It's another reminder that in a busy day, I might forget. Helps me. Little alerts. comes up on my computer screen or comes up on my phone. Post-its are great. Post-its are good for prayer. Stick them on your bath, bathroom mirror, by the bed, on the kettle, car dashboard, something to pray for. Helps you, rem- helps you remember. Not on the windscreen. You've got to be able to keep that clear. Post-its help. Even when you think about someone, pray for them. Just remember, consciously, while you're thinking about someone, pray for them. In fact, when I hit this point in my sermon, when I was practicing it last night, two names popped in my head. I prayed for them. One of them's here. I just did it there and then. Just a good habit to get into getting the habit of praying about people when you think about them. And when you tell someone you'll pray for them, try and remember to do it. Many <laughs> times I'll pray for you, and he's like, oh, I didn't, did I? Try and do it as soon as possible, either, either then, obviously while well, you're still talking to them, it's not so easy, but the moment you can, even just a quick prayer for starters, but ask God to remind you to do it at length later on. Because we, we're humans, we forget. Just have these little things, these little kind of rules in your head that when I think about that person, when I say I'm going to pray, I'm going to do it. Uh, lists. People find prayer lists helpful. Well, one piece of advice for that, prayer lists are great. Keep them shorter rather than longer. The reason being, you can spend more time on each person's situation. And you can often get more enlightened about how God wants you to be involved in the process of whatever it is you're seeking for that person while you're praying for them. Rather than, I've only got a few minutes left, I've got another 20 names on my list, I better race through the names. There's nothing like knuckling down praying for an individual. God is big enough to deal with the people who aren't on your list. So no guilt involved. God is big enough to deal with the people that you're removing from your list to make space for others. Or the people you haven't put on your list but you feel guilty about not putting it on your list. God is bigger than that. He's more than capable of looking after them as well through others. I advise, depends what works for you, but I advise and how much time you've got. Keep prayer lists shorter rather than longer. God would rather you fight on behalf of a few individuals than race through a list of names. Does that make sense? Uh, Also, while we're on the subject, let people know they're being prayed for. There's nothing like being told out of the blue without asking for it that you're being prayed for. Even if it's a text during the week or when you see them, been praying for you. Or now and again, me and a few few people here, we text each other, been praying for you, anything in particular I I can talk to Dad about. We do that on a regular basis. It really helps and it boosts that other person as well. A um, few more ideas. Working through the Lord's Prayer, you'll find it in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave it to us as a model, not a mantra. Not to just recite off by heart. We can go through it without even thinking about what we're saying sometimes. We can rattle it off parrot fashion. He gave it to us as a model of prayer. Use that. Work through it on a personal basis, turning it into your own words, embellishing each sentence. Yeah, our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. Talk to him about his holiness. Talk to him about the fact that he's Father. Your kingdom come. Talk about what's going on in your life. Talk to him about you want to see his kingdom come in that situation. Just expand it as you work through it. It really helps you pray. Or, similar, work through the Lord's Prayer but with one thing or one person in mind. A situation at work or your wife or you know, a friend of yours. Just with that one thing in mind, work through the Lord's Prayer and it just really embellishes and breathe fresh life into your prayer life for that person or for that situation. Lord's Prayer really helps in different ways.
Um, praying scripture back to God. We talked about that last week with prayer being a response to the conversation God's already started. If you read a verse, there is a way of turning it back to God, asking him, is this me? Do I do, I do this? If not, why not? What's going on? Help me to be like this. Or talking about God's character, talk to him about it and ask him to reveal more of that to you. You can turn scripture into prayer. Turn it back to him. And also I mentioned last week, I mentioned um, up, in and out as a little helpful template for prayer. Just remember, up, in and out. Pray up. Talk to Father about how brilliant he is, how wonderful he is. Celebrate him. Thank him for all the things he's done and all he is. That's up, in. You know, self-reflection, confession. Asking God if there's anything he needs to point out to you or help for things you're struggling with and doubts and questions and struggles and anxieties. Talk to him. And then out. Pray for others. Pray for the world around you. Pray for the governments. Pray for see what you see on the news. Pray for your neighbours. Pray for your family. Up, in and out. That's just a helpful way just to work through prayer with our amazing Father. One other thing, prayer is deliberate just because of time. Praying out loud really helps you focus, really helps liven your prayer life up. When you're just trying to do it in your head, your mind wanders more. When you're praying out loud, you might sound like a weirdo, it's easier to do it in private, in the car. Praying out loud really helps you keep focus. Really helps you pray for longer, at length, battling and fighting in certain situations. Praying out loud really does help. On that note about doing it in private, the next one is, prayer is private. Prayer is private. It's another aspect of being deliberate. Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching his followers about prayer, Right at the beginning of verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, when you pray, not if, notice that, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Shut the door. Pray in private. There's lots of different ways, actually, we can shut the door. The first obvious one, shut the door. <laughs> goes without saying. Find a room, if possible, depending on where you live, your home life, or a workspace, wherever it might be. Just find room, a place so you can be on your own, shut the door. Maybe it's a Harry Potter cupboard under the stairs. Maybe it's just a spare bedroom, a study, lounge, whatever it might be. But shut the door. It's just removing yourself from distractions. It's, like, it's the same. Putting your phone in the other room is shutting the door. It's the same thing. Literally shut the door. But there are other ways we can shut the door. We all have busy lives and it's not always possible depending on who else lives with you, etc. Um, John and Charles Wesley were evangelists and hymn writers in the uh, 18th century. And their mum, Susanna, she was a girl. She was brilliant. She had 19 kids. What's going on there? 19 kids. And no, they didn't have Netflix, did they? 19 kids she had, but even parents of one child can struggle to get time alone in the toilet. True, isn't it? Let alone to pray. So what she did, she would sit at the kitchen table, she would lift her apron up over her head, and she would sit there, and over time, the kids, as they grew up, they learned that that is a do not disturb sign. Mum's praying. She's shutting the door. Lifting her apron over her head for a short while was Susanna shutting the door. She found a way in a family of 19 kids. There's other ways you can shut the door. Walking. 
I find my, my brain is less distracted when I'm doing something else with my body. Walking or, or whatever it is, driving. Driving really helps as well, but walking is a good one. I might walk along the seafront. I like to walk between appointments in town sometimes. and just gives me some space sometimes to read, but sometimes just to pray. It's another way of shutting the door, getting alone time with God. I love, I love the woods. There's something about woods and hills that just, they're a tonic to my soul. And when I'm able to, 20 minutes, half an hour, sometimes longer if possible, I might just pop into Thornton Wood, in Thornton Woods and just go and get lost for a little while. And I'll just get quality time shutting the door with my father. Maybe you're a jogger. I don't know if there's any joggers in the room. Maybe you like keeping fit. Um, not for me. Uh, if you like jogging, there's an opportunity. Some people use it to listen to music. It's brilliant. But you can just put your earphones in so it looks like you're busy and pray instead. Just pray. It's a prayer time, isn't it? If you're a busy parent pushing the buggy on the school run or the nursery run, there's opportunity, depending on your route, is shutting the door. There's, you can carve out some quality spa- space with Father while you're out and about walking. If you like baths, baths can be literally shutting the door. I hope you do. Shut the door. When you're having a bath, can be good prayer time. And like I say, driving really helps me pray as well, as long as I'm paying attention to walking out in front of me. There's an opportunity to pray while you're driving. There is something about those kind of actions. It slows the brain waves down and helps you concentrate. There is, they've done neuroscience tests on it. There is something about it. And it, just, it does help you concentrate. I love my music. I'll crank that radio up, sing along. I love it. But there are times when, it, and do you know what? I'm going to turn that off and I'm going to pray. Just while I'm driving, I'll pray. Make the time, whatever you do, however you can, for as long as you're able, even if it's just a few minutes, to start small, but where possible, make time for private prayer. Okay? So work, deliberate, and private. The next one, while it's private, it's also public. Prayer is public. That, those few verses we just read from Matthew 6, where Jesus is talking about these hypocrites who like to be seen to be praying in public, they're just there to be seen. They want to be lauded for their amazing prayers. He's not saying don't pray in public. When I say prayer in public, I'm talking about getting together with other believers and praying together. There's nothing quite like it. Acts chapter 4, you see in the second half of that chapter, you see um, the believers hearing from um, Peter and John uh, about they've, they've just been hauled before the authorities and they come back and tell them the story. And what do the people do? Together, they pray. They extol God together. They repeat scripture back to him. That's what they're doing. They're reminding him of his promises and they ask him for boldness. And as a result, the place shakes, they're filled with the Spirit and they get the boldness they're asking for. There was an up and in and out public prayer together. That's what they did. Even later on, you also see just another example, Acts chapter 12. The believers gather together for a prayer meeting together where they're praying for Peter's release from prison. The prayer is answered during the meeting. He comes and knocks on the door. See, prayer is not only private, it is public. It's for community too. There's also, there's, there's another good reason why we should. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the um, Narnia books, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, etc., he describes, um, he, he, he explains that it takes a community of people to truly get to know an individual. If you think about it, if you know someone on a one-to-one basis, you can get to know them quite deeply, you can get to know them really well, but you won't know them fully until you get to know them in a group of people and you also get to see how they react and interact with other people in the group and in different situations, more facets of that person are revealed. Does that make sense? You get to know that person in a more fully rounded way. 
in exactly the same way, getting to know God fully is a corporate thing. It's, it's a community effort, isn't it? And so to pray with others, it draws out aspects of God's character, God's intentions, God's involvement, things that you would otherwise have been unaware of until you pray with others and you hear what God's doing in their lives and what they've seen in Scripture and what they're repeating back to Him and so on. Celebrating that together as well as asking for things together, it adds a richer depth that otherwise would have been missing. Prayer together, prayer is public, is an amazing thing. Praying with others, it inspires us, it prompts us, it challenges us. If you find prayer meetings boring or you're nervous about praying out loud, even turning up, just turning up, encourages everyone by your mere presence. If you're a believer, you have Holy Spirit in you. You're part of his temple. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Turning up en masse together to seek after Father, even if you're just arriving there too nervous to speak out loud, you're joining us in prayer. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. But on that note, if you are shy about praying out loud, just remember this is family. Practice it in smaller settings, growth group or whatever, with one other person. Can you help me pray out loud? Do that. But we are family. You can keep it simple. You can keep it short. It can only be a few words. It doesn't have to be any longer than that. But it gar- I guarantee that if you prayed out loud for the first time, everyone will be blessed and not annoyed. <laughs> I can promise you that. It's a good thing to join in together. There are practicalities involved. Not everyone can make Saturday mornings. Not everyone can make Sunday evenings, etc. We get that. That's fine. But just don't let other reasons keep you away. We've even got our enough prayer meeting coming up. We do it three times a year as a family of churches across different hubs. We'll be meeting in Margate again this time, November the 16th, I think it is, for an evening of prayer, Friday night of prayer. We do it three times a year, get as many people together to pray through the same things, for the same crying out to Father for the same things together at the same time around the world. Mike Betts, who fathers our, our movement, he he has a vision for 20,000 people to be doing this together at the same time by 2020. When we first heard that, we're like, only God. However, we're fast approaching halfway already. We're three and a bit years in, and we're approaching nearly 10,000 people praying together at the same time on the same night. We, um, Edward Burry, who I mentioned earlier, his, his Kenyan churches, they join in now. That swelled our ranks by about another 4,000. We had about 2,000. He's added another four. Now the 3DM movement, Paul McConaughey out in America, some of, some of you might know, they're joining from the next one and they're bringing another three, four, five thousand 5,000 people with them probably. We're hitting 10,000 already, we're halfway there. A couple of years' time, who knows what God's going to be doing. And when God's people gather together en masse, things happen. The spiritual realm is shaken. So join in, where possible, join in. Next one, prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer really does make a difference. Brian Chappell, I mentioned uh, his book last week, Praying Backwards. Do you remember that? About in your, what in your name, in Jesus' name, what that really, really means. And actually starting with that really helps us remind how we get to pray in the first place and what a difference that makes. The whole book's about more than that as well. But it's a really helpful book. But in there, he also says, you can pray knowing that God will marshal the powers of heaven to accomplish on earth all he knows is best for your eternity. Shall I read that again? It says, You can pray knowing that God will marshal the powers of heaven to accomplish on earth all he knows is best for your eternity. He will marshal the powers of heaven with your best interests at heart and for his glory. That's quite something. 
you're not just talking into a void, are you? You're talking to a good, all-powerful God who wants to be involved and wants to see things happen. Primarily, the change will be in us, more than the situations, more than the things we're asking for. If we're praying in true honesty and in true submission, we then actually, in the same process, we get to reflect on our motives, on our desires, on what drives us, on what we truly hunger for, and what God is saying about that very thing. Quite likely, the biggest change will be in us. That's powerful and effective just to start with. But it also, prayer also changes events, doesn't it? And I know we've got a number of testimonies between us here. It bring, brings about miracles. It, it, change, it, it alters the dynamic in the spiritual realm. Prayer it casts out demons. It commands healing, transforms lives. It does open up unseen opportunities and conversations and relationships. James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, NIV version, or in the ESV, it has great power as it is working at the same time. There is power to prayer. Just a few examples on uh, mass and small, big and small. Here's a big one. Are you aware of the power of prayer and its effects during Dunkirk in 1940? Are you aware of this? In May 1940, our troops and the Allies were cornered on mainland Europe and they're about to be annihilated. And so the king, he commanded, he, he instructed the nation, the UK, to gather together on the Sundays for a national day of prayer. Imagine that happening today. That'd be brilliant. And he said, UK, we are going to pray. We're going to stand on Sunday together as a nation and cry out to our God for help with this. Our troops are about to be destroyed. By the time that Sunday came round, and before they'd even started praying, I love how God does this, answers to prayer were already happening. Adolf Hitler commanded his troops and his armoured divisions to stop moving for three days, and nobody knows why. Seriously, modern historians today, they call it the Holt Order, and they do not get it, and it's a mystery that is still unsolved. Nobody knows why Hitler stopped his troops and his armoured divisions when he was about to finish us off. He stopped them for three days, which gave them time to get to the beaches. And then on the Tuesday, there was such bad weather, his air force was grounded, gave our troops more time to get to the beaches, and then the Wednesday, the weather on the channel was extraordinarily calm. And they say the, the channel has never been that peaceful until then and never like that since. I don't know if you've been on the channel. It's not smooth, even on a good day. But if you see the photos from the day, it's like a mill pond. And people say, that's not the channel. Something happened. And as a result, 338,000 troops got back safely to fight again. And the rest is literally history. Was that a coincidence? Was that a coincidence? Our friend Maxine, she's a part of Beacon Church. She lives in China. She's coming back here, 28th of October. We've given her a whole Sunday morning. She's coming back to share her stories of what God's been doing. Um, and it's amazing work that God's doing through her. And Tracy's coming with the kids as well. They're going to have an amazing time just hearing from them and praying for them and celebrating with them. When a few years ago she fell and, and broke um, her wrist and... Uh, she asked us and others, she got the message out, she asked us to pray for her. Fracture my wrist, I'm going to have to fly from Vietnam to Thailand to go and see a doctor and get this fixed. Um, she asked us to pray, uh, had an x-ray before she went. You can see, and we've even shown them on the screen before, haven't we? You can see the clear fractures in the, in the little bones around the wrist. And she jumped on the plane, flew to Thailand, went straight to the hospital, had more x-rays, no fracture. Coincidence? 
And even just recently, just on a smaller scale, just recently I've had a number of conversations I've had to have with people, just things we've got to work out and could go either way and could be a bit tricky. And I've just been praying each time about all these conversations with different people, not just here but elsewhere, just like, God, will you just make straight the path before me? Will you just make it easy? Every single time those people have come up to me first, started the conversation, oh, we need to talk about such and such, and it's been easy. They've even come up with great answers. It's what we're rocking on. I didn't have to do anything. It was like, okay. Time and time and time and time again, repeatedly over the past few weeks, it's just this pattern emerging of what God's doing at the moment for me. Coincidence? I don't think so. Nicky Gumbel says, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Prayer is powerful and effective. The last one, which sums up everything, I think, to be honest, shouldn't be any surprise, prayer is necessary. Prayer is necessary. And like of all we've heard over these past couple of Sundays, prayer, while prayer is a lifestyle, and prayer is submission, prayer is work and it is deliberate, it is also response. It is also communion and encounter. It's multicolored, it's multi-flavored, isn't it? It is private and it's public. It is honest and it is powerful and it is effective. And therefore, it's an enticing and an almighty privilege to even get to pray in the first place. But that means it is necessary. It's not something we can ignore or put to one side and think we'll come back to later. Jesus is God. He is the eternal, all-sufficient, all-powerful one. And while he was here on this planet in human form, he could have, if he wanted to, he could have snuffed out his enemies. He could have called down an army of angels. He could have never gone without simply because of who he is and what he's capable of. And yet, we see him in the eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these eyewitness biographies of Jesus. We see him, he's someone who prays more than any other person on this planet, doesn't he? That's what he did. He prayed before every large decision. He prayed when he's tired. He prayed when he has cause to celebrate and when he's under duress. He prays when his heart for his friends breaks and he cries out to Father. He prays when he could be sleeping. Praise when he's busy. That's what he does. Why? Because prayer was the very heartbeat of his relationship with his father. He couldn't help himself. He, he knew he had to. And it's the same for us too. Prayer is or should be our heartbeat. It's our very lifeblood. It's the very spiritual, should be the very spiritual air we breathe. As we travel through life and as we turn unexpected corners, we never know what's coming. He does. Prayer just makes straight those paths for us. And so to consciously or unconsciously live without prayer or being just ignoring it in whatever way, that's foolish at best and arrogant at worst. We must pray, whether we feel like it or not. If we don't, we'll remain as dry as that man we were talking about in the, in the desert. It's not, it's not merely a way to get things from God. It's a way to get more of God himself. The giver, not just the gifts. Let me just leave you this picture. There's in Isaiah 64, verse 7, the prophet, or God via the prophet, is bemoaning the lack of people who take hold of God, is the phrase. Take, where, where are the people who take hold of God? Now, in those times, in ancient days, to appeal to a man, to get his attention and to, to plead for mercy and attention and something to happen, to get, to get that man's attention, you would take hold of his cloak. 
and you tug on his cloak. And prayer is taking hold of our Heavenly Father's cloak. It's getting his attention. Dad, it's, look, it's appealing to him eye to eye. Dad, I need more of you. Dad, I need help with this. Dad, I'm struggling with this. Dad, can you help my friend out? Dad, you're brilliant. Just tugging on his cloak. That's Isaiah 64 verse 7, but also Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, this is what God says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If you hunger after him, he looks and he listens and he pays attention and he will pour out everything for you with your best interest at heart and his glory in mind. So let's take hold of God in private and in public. Let's seize his cloak and let's revel in his awesome mercy and his goodness. There's opportunities to do that at home. There's opportunities to do that together, including tonight. But let's take hold of his cloak and let's appeal to him. I've got lots of books that you can, if you want to read more and learn more. Tim Keller's book on prayer has really helped me develop a lot of this. This is a brilliant book if you want to get it, particularly the first half you might find most helpful. But there's others, Mark Chappell's, um, Brian Chappell's, sorry, Brian Chappell's book on praying backwards. Uh, there's um, Paul E. Miller's A Praying Life. There's loads of books I can let you know about. Really, really helpful. But just keep Rinse and repeat on all these rich ingredients and see what sticks and see what God says to you. See where you need to work. But let's just press in and seek Father's face. Let's, let's commune and encounter him. Let's enjoy his presence, bearing our hearts, enabling Holy Spirit just to stir up what we're doing. And let's seek his face and let's see what he does. It'd be good just to pray, just to close. Just, if you want to close your eyes, just for a moment, there's just something I just want to help you with as we do that. Tim Keller, in this very book, his book on prayer, he, he, he says, imagine your soul, keep your eyes closed, he just says, imagine your soul as a boat. And you can ask yourself these questions. Just imagine your soul as a boat. And he says, are you sailing with the wind behind you, you know unequivocally that God is real, that your prayers are answered, that Holy Spirit's at work. Are you, are you sailing? Is that what your boat's doing? He said, but maybe you're rowing. You're kind of having to drive it a bit. It feels more like duty rather than delight. And God can often seem distant. You're not, you're not assuming you know it all, you don't need him, but something's not quite, you need more. It just feels like effort. Maybe that's you, maybe you're rowing. So maybe you're drifting. Maybe you feel dry and without direction. You don't always feel like praying or you go elsewhere for comfort. Maybe that's you. Just be honest with him right now. Is that you? Are you sailing? Are you rowing? Are you drifting? So maybe, even, maybe, maybe right now you're sinking. You feel numb. You feel miles from God. It's okay. He's still there. He's still available. Just turn your face to him and take hold of his cloak. There's a place to... Pray regardless. For example, it's okay to row. Prayer is work. Prayer takes effort. It's okay to row. It takes a while to drill down into that rock face, but there comes a moment sometimes where that fuse gets lit and things explode. Wherever you're at, whether you're sailing, whether you're rowing, drifting or sinking, it's okay. He's always available. He's always there. Turn your face to him. Ask for his help. It's 
why Jesus has given us Holy Spirit to help us. Let me just pray for you. Lord, Father, Holy God, we thank you that you're a God who wants to be involved, to interact, want us to turn our faces to you, not just give you glory, but know you in such intimate moments as your children. Lord, you've made that possible through your son. We get to be called your kids. We get to call you father in the first place. Lord, help us to seek more of your face. If we're sailing, help us to keep running with that, to enjoy what you're doing in amongst us and around us and to revel in that, but to also just keep pressing into that to see more of that. But those of us in this room who are rowing, Lord, help us to persevere. Help us to press in, to nag like the persistent widow, to seek more of you. Help us, we pray. And those of us who may be drifting or, or sinking, finding things really hard and feeling distant, Holy Spirit, will you just breathe on them right now? These people here, will you just breathe on them with a fresh sense of Father's goodness over them, your kindness, your mercy, your smile. Your word says you sing love songs over us. May there be a fresh conscious awareness of that. Help them. Holy Spirit, will you breathe into their sails and help them to start sailing again? We need your help to pray. We're humans. Lord, we need your help, so will you come and help us to do so at all times, throughout the day, and at special times as well. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. We ask this.